0: Welcome back Tier one talks. This episode is actually going to come out in season two. Um, We're going to call this episode one of season two. And the reason it's going to be season two is this, this episode was recorded a year ahead of time before you listen to it. Uh, The reason is I have somebody with me today, great personal friend that wants to speak one year before his retirement date. His name is Zach Armstrong. Um, United States Navy SEAL uh, has served our country uh, for an extensive amount of time. We're going to find out about how he got in uh, to the Navy, what he did in the Navy. Um, He has an amazing track record. He has amazing accomplishments. One that we'll get a chance to hear about is he went through Hell Week, which everyone is deathly afraid of, not once, but twice, twice. And if you knew Zach, you'd look at him and you'd just go, hey, this guy is uh, so mellow, so chill, uh, great attitude about everything. Um, Definitely not the uh, mental stereotype of Navy SEAL, you know, badass, super serious, tough dude. Obviously physically gifted, um, mentally gifted, obviously tougher than nails, um, but always has a smile on his face, always has a great attitude. And with that, I'm going to welcome my good friend, Zach Armstrong.
1: Thanks, Kevin. This this has been a long time
0: in the making, right? And we've been talking about this for a while. Well, you and I created Tier 1 Talks together when uh, we were on a trip together and decided to uh, realize how much we had in common. Yes, and And um, realized that, that that commonality comes not so much from just who we are as people, but also from jobs that we do and Uh, jobs that we do inside are careers. And and by jobs I I mean that I've worked in the training department of Special Operations of the Fire Department and you currently are in what job right now? So I'm currently the program
1: director for our air, our free fall uh, insertion program.
0: Yeah and that's for Uh, the Naval Special Warfare? Yeah Naval
1: Special Warfare Group
0: One. Yep there we go so west coast side. Um, So Little background, Zach and I met when our kids took their fourth grade trip to Sacramento and San Francisco. And we met at the beginning of the COVID outbreak. Yeah,
1: we weren't sure if that trip was going to was going to actually happen, right? Because San Francisco was the hot spot right and and we and we went, and we weren't sure if we were going to even be able to come home or get quarantined up there or
0: what what was going to happen, yeah, yeah, and so so we went with all these, we were like two of maybe six guys on this trip of all moms, and you you know like a hundred kids, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. wrangling, uh, wrangling cats. Yes. Herding the cats. For yeah. Sure. And seeing all these sites and watching these kids and just, you know, bus time, airplane time, everything they said not to do with COVID. We did pretty much. We, we, we got on buses, we got on planes. We, we went to museums. We went to closed buildings. We stayed in hotel rooms that had been stayed in other people. <laughs> and we went to, you know, restaurants like down at pier 39, we, we did everything that they said not to do and here we are we survived without covid.
1: And I think we did it without masks, right? That wasn't even a thing at the time. Wasn't masks, even a thought.
0: No, masks weren't even a thing. Yeah, at the time. But now now a simple mask will save your life. That's right. That's what that's what Fauci says. That's right. So, I don't know if I don't know if it's true or not, but So, here we are. We're sitting outside my house and we're going to talk. And you had this great idea. Well, first off, like we knew that If we were to air this episode right now right we'd get you in some trouble
1: yeah potentially um i just didn't want to take the uh run the risk right i thought um i know you had been really wanting to get me on there and and, you know have this discussion uh especially as i watched you kick off the the podcast and um you're like oh we gotta get you on here and talk and i was like well let me let me look into some of this right and kind of figure out and ultimately, I just thought, you know, with the current current climate and, and, and recent events in the news with uh, Naval Special Warfare, I thought maybe it's not a good idea to, to actually air this. And so I was driving, I think I was driving over here one day and I, it just like the light bulb went off, right? And I was like, you know what? Why don't we record it and just not release it until I retire? I retired in, in a year, 12 months.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: I, I, I presented that to you and you, and you were like, man, that is an awesome idea. And I thought that'd be kind of a cool format, right? Like release some kind of back to back uh, a week apart uh, or however you release them and and people can hear what we did a year prior to the next one.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what I, you know, I think is the great part of that is that, you know, like I, I, and I say this every podcast that I, I focus the podcast towards people um, that follow the, the the tier one athletes Instagram page, and obviously you know friends and family, and future operators of fire, military, law enforcement, from special operations people, people who are pursuing the career. And we have the luxury of being at the end, and this is this is my transition. This is what I want to do. This is this is my my tribe, my family. Talking to the people that I've met throughout my career that have similar mindsets, um, similar. Uh, uh, approaches to life like we we're just laughing just now like uh, right we're, we're dressed like twins right now in, in in the in the tactical cool guy outfit of uh board shorts or cargo shorts uh some nondescript brand t-shirt that ha- endorses something that someone came by and gave a freebie to or the, a product we use exactly the trucker's hat and some set of cool sunglasses and then some badass watch that says hey look at me <laughs> and flip-flops right absolutely uh, and, and it's like easy to spot in yeah, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you had a pocket knife in your right pocket right now. <laughs> I'm left handed. Oh, left handed. That's left-handed. right. I forgot about the left handed. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you had a clip, uh, a drop clip pocket knife on that left pocket right now.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I think my wife calls it combat
0: casual. <laughs> combat I think it's casual. Cam-
1: combat casual or adventure casual or something to that effect and pretty spot on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how we get made of by our spouses. Right. My wife calls me um, Gorilla Bear. And it has to do with uh, Bear Okay. because like every situation we end up in, I'm offering unsolicited free advice on how to survive something that goes wrong.
1: Yeah, I think I do the same thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, okay, so you see how uh, I walk into a room, okay, make sure that you see the entrance and the exit, figure out which way you're getting out of here if something goes wrong. And my wife's like, nothing's going to go wrong.
1: Oh, I say that every time. Yeah, I say that every time. We go into a restaurant and we sit down, and I I immediately look at at the at the kids, and I'm like, "Hey, where's the nearest exit?" Yeah, and I make them look around and find it.
0: Yeah, you know what's funny is um about a month ago, the uh there there were I was at work, and there were a couple of fires that popped up around here, and the weather was hot. It it it, it you know it was one of those hot weeks. Mm-hmm. And I call home, and I, and I said, hey, uh, just so you know, uh, there's a fire in Hamul, and there's a fire in Eucalyptus Hills right now. Pack a go bag for the kids. And my wife's like, okay, sounds good. And I don't know what's worse, that I speak in those terms, or that she actually knows what I'm speaking of.
1: Yep, yep. You know, we talked and, about that, right? Uh, and, it,
0: and it reflects to the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you, I've had my kids pack uh, two go bags in the last, uh, well, within the last year, right, and and I was kind of contemplating on the last time that we did that, and I immediately, my youngest, uh, my youngest child knew exactly what to put in that bag, right, he didn't, I, oh, that's all I had to say to him, and I just kind of had a moment of, like, a little bit of sadness, right, like, I kind of sucks that he knows what that means and what needs to go in there right and yeah and uh but at the same time i was like well that's kind of cool because i'm building a child that's going to be resilient and be able to uh you know actually survive his future because it's it's super dynamic right now right and so um who knows what he's going to have to deal with when he's
0: when he's our age oh i i can't imagine what i'm going to have to deal with after my birthday next week (laughs) right yeah, yeah I, I honestly look at things and I think what is like re- recording our next episode for this in a year. Yeah. I'm f- contemplating right now how are how are we going to do it and what are we going to have to deal with? Are are we even going to be able to cross state lines cuz you won't be here. I'll still be in the state of California. Sure. And after you have your well actually we'll be here together cuz your ceremony. Yep. Your retirement ceremony will yep. be here.
1: Yep, we'll do it uh we'll do it that like that week.
0: Yeah. And then after that week, if you're allowed, you're leaving state lines to your new home. Yeah. So we won't talk about where you're going, but it's, it's one of the, only because you're a Californian, we don't want to tell that state another Californian is coming. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: the, so my wife was there recently and uh, the advice that was given to her by, by a gentleman, I don't know, she was at a furniture store or something looking at some, he said, don't show up here with California plates. Yeah. That's, that was his one piece of advice. And, um, so anyway, we've, we've, we've remedied that. Um, we have plates for where we're headed, but, uh, yeah. maybe we'll talk about where we're headed later at the, on
0: the next one or something. Next one. I don't know. Yeah. Cause the, the, then we'll also, cause you're going to, you're going to go back and forth. You're going to commute.
1: I, I will. I will be spending some time up there. Um, I should have some free time, uh, to, to get up there certainly for the holiday season. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's it. Oh, there's so many avenues to take down that path right now. Oh my um, gosh. It's there's you, a ton of stuff. And I'm know.
1: I'm writing a note right now about some of this.
0: Yeah. So let's let's start off at the basics because I want people to know you how I know you. Okay. Um and first and first and foremost, like I I just finished your book. Okay. All so, right. What'd so you think? I, I you know, I saw you in it, man. <laughs> it's like um like I could see your smile and in, in your demeanor and it was, it was cool because uh, and I don't have it out here with us right now while we're recording I but it, it, it's a it's a great book and it was written by Dick Couch yep. who is an author who has written many books about Special Operations Forces yeah, absolutely many books and the book we're referring to is entitled uh, the Warrior Elite the Warrior Elite and it, it is an amazing experience for any of you kids out there, young men, young women now too, if you're considering uh, putting your hat in the ring, taking a shot at BUDS, um, this is a documentary of going through BUDS. Absolutely. And it, was- it was. It was a first time ever where an author was allowed to go through a BUDS class or follow a BUDS class through and the interesting thing about it was dick couch went through buds yes he, he is a retired navy navy seal combat veteran from the vietnam era he was class 46 i believe i believe that's correct. 45 46 somewhere around there Yep. and, and you were class 228 uh, two, two, eight. and you were 228 all the way through uh no, without that, that was
1: actually my second class
0: that's right But all the way through yeah 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 yeah, yeah. oh i want, so we're gonna get into that so you originally joined the navy at what age
1: uh, well, I, I I joined. I was in the delayed entry program. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think I kind of had a had to have a parent sign, but I I think that was before I was 18. I think I was 17, still in high school. Yeah. And so I just that that was I knew that that was what I wanted to do, and so delayed entry. And then I think I actually left for boot camp like within four to six weeks after graduating high school and you went to boot camp great lakes yep and then you went to a school i did yeah what was your a school uh mineman mineman down in ingleside texas so you learned how
0: to operate on a mine layer Uh,
1: yeah i did you know there that was actually and this was what in the mid mid 90s that was a uh, they were actually in a transition you know they weren't it was becoming less of a thing uh, at the time they still had some of the, like, wooden boats, if you will, that would, yeah. would do mine clearance and stuff like that, but um, but the reality was I knew I was never gonna work in that field, I just needed a, um, at the time it was called a source rating, right? right? Because we didn't have our own rating at the time, so you had to have a source rating that, uh, it was a handful of different uh, jobs within the Navy that
0: then allowed you to, to go to BUDS. Yeah. so. You went to, that's A school, and then did you have to do time in the fleet prior to BUDS, or did you get I, to go I to did buds? not.
1: I went, I was in a, I think it was called a dive fair program. I'm not sure if that still exists, but that was, that was the hook from the recruiter to get you.
0: Yeah, I remember the dive fair program. Okay, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you went through the dive fair program, and then you classed up with two, 212. 212.
1: Yep, that was my original class.
0: And you made it to Hell Week? and, and Made
1: it through Hell Week. Um, made it through Hell Week without uh, completing life saving. Uh, life saving at the time. And it, so.
0: in second phase?
1: Nope, that's at the. Well, life saving, I think they actually do it before or did do it before Hell Week. Um, I had not completed it or had not passed it but you're allowed to go through hell week and then you you do a, a retakes you know post hell week
0: right the the pool pool competency type life-saving is that what you're referring yes. to? yes yeah yep so yep one of the one of the many hurdles you have to jump through yeah for sure do they beat the shit out of you in, in life-saving yeah i
1: mean <laughs> i was uh i think i weighed 130 pounds or something yeah uh, i was just a tiny little guy going through uh, going through that and had some instructors that just worked me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Just drowned the hell out of you.
0: Let, let me show you how it's going to be kid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so that got you on the first one round through. Yeah. So what was your first hell week like?
1: Um, a blur. <laughs> it's it's like i I think I just described it earlier, right? It's like one continuous day. It's just yeah. one continuous day
0: that never ends. Um, for you, it was two continuous days. It never ended <laughs> <laughs> i I
1: have to be honest, I think it was the second one was way worse be for the sheer fact that I knew what was coming, like I knew how painful it was going to be yeah it was it was worse it yeah. was actually worse um the second one i i i actually didn't sleep any of it and i didn't and this and this is why because during the first one i had my hip flexors would so you, you i think you sleep two hours wednesday and two hours thursday right right it starts on a sunday you, you finally sleep a couple hours like wednesday and then two on
0: thursday and you finish on friday all mathematically calculated uh, what yeah. you can handle
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred, hundred pound heads figured out, you know, how yeah. how long to drive you and all that stuff. But, but um, my hip flexors got so tight that I had, you know, I actually could hardly walk uh, post hell week the first time. And so knowing how bad that would hurt, and that was from laying down, because you lay down and you curl up, you know, in the kind of fetal position and, and try you don't to want stay to stretch warm. Out. Exactly, and so knowing that the second the second round, um, I literally when we when we did the the sleep portion there, I leaned against the tent pole. They set up tents on the beach, and that's where you you know set up cots in the tent, and you and you go in there and lay down for a couple hours. And I would literally lean against the tent pole because I didn't I was afraid to lay down. And um, and so they you know they have folks that uh, other students that are medically. Uh, on hold or something that are helping out assisting with hell week and stuff. And they would come by and just feed me Snickers bars the whole time. Yeah. Right. And um, I'm sure I fell asleep standing up a couple times or something like that. But, but I, I refuse to lay on the cot.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how your body can adapt and, and sleep in any position, anytime. Yeah. Once, once you get to the point where you're so chronically exhausted, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that I've, I've learned out of my career is that sleep is a precious commodity and being able to decide I'm gonna sleep right now is an amazing skill that once you master that, it's invaluable. Well,
1: if you if you know how to do that, let me know, because
0: I struggle with sleep. Yeah, I, I, I can sleep after coffee. I, wow. I can choose to put my head down, and you know, I don't count sheep or anything, but close my eyes and I can, I can turn it off and go to sleep. I hope to get back to that someday. Someday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I was battling, you know, most recent in the last few years or something, I was I was battling with some sleep deprivation stuff. I just could not. I just wasn't getting good sleep. And it took me. Um, it finally, like, culminated. I, I I, I, finally got to the point where I was like, I need to talk to a counselor about this, you know. And um, I struggled. I really um, focused for, like, a year just to get... Uh, try to get a full night's sleep. No kidding. Yeah, and I and I got it, and I, you know, of course, I'm guilty, right? Of the you're not supposed to, you know, look at screens and stuff right before bed, yep. and you're supposed to do a wind down process, and and this, that, and the other, and 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 I did, and I focused, and it took about 12, 14 months for me to kind of get it back on track, um, and now that's been, uh, it's probably been about three, three years, maybe, maybe we're getting into the fourth year of having. Some pretty decent sleep. I monitor my sleep every every
0: night. I do too. That's yeah. a, that's one of the things that we we found in common was, like, hey, look at this watch. And so, you know, of course, you're in a little bit of different boat, but I, I got the budget version of my watch, and y- and you have, y- you know, your watch is issued as gear, which is really interesting. It's it, it's, it's phenomenal. That it, it, it it's the correct thing to do. That the teams invest in your bodies because they own your bodies. Sure. You sure. Know? And they, they've decided we're going to give you this tool to help you make sure that your body stays optimal. Now, obviously, it's up to you uh, as an operator. What, what am I going to do with my body? And am I going to keep it in top physical condition? Some people do. Some people don't. And that, that's, that is career-wide in every one of the trades that we're discussing here. Yeah. There, are, there are people who choose to be like, hey, I have a responsibility to stay in shape. And there are people who just throw it out the fucking window. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, um,
1: I might, I might be somewhere in between. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not. I mean, at times, well, it waxes and wanes, right? Like, um, believe me, I'd love to spend a third of my day working out. I, we have a wife
0: and kids, dude.
1: Well, I just don't have don't have the time to do that every single day. I'm looking forward to being able to do that as soon as I retire.
0: Yeah. I remember before I had kids and my wife was my wife, like your wife is a nurse. And she was, by the time she was 30 years old, she had gotten to the top of whatever she wanted to do in her career as, as a uh, surgical nurse. Yeah. She was running an orthopedic department. And she was running first lead, um, first assist on cardiac teams. So she was you know, doing vein harvesting and all that stuff. She'd go to work, and she's super industrious. Fit woman. I'm, I love her, proud of her. She's an amazing woman. And um, everything she does, she does 100%. Um, But she'd call me like on her break. What are you doing? I say I'm working out. (laughs) Right. And she said, Well, when I left, you were working out. Like, yeah. (laughs) She says, Well, how many hours do you have to work out a day? I said, Well, if if I get everything in that I want to do, it takes about three hours. Oh yeah, absolutely, sure. You know, because like, you know, I want to do the weights and want to I want to do a long cardio event and then I want to do some, you know, some extra work of whatever I feel like I'm not good at right now, whether it's pull-ups, push-ups, you know, like. You know some stabilizer muscles yeah you know all the extra stuff and and to this day i i obviously i i write my stuff down through tier one ath- athletics tier one, tier one athletes i write those workouts down they, they're not straight through they're they're like stuff that happens throughout the day but there's four parts of it mm-hmm. uh, of the complete body which is what you're referring to which is you know the the strength the endurance the the uh, tactical conditioning me making sure that you can go balls out You know 20 30 minutes on something that you're not going to be able to back out of sure and then the rehabilitation taking care of your body yeah you know making sure take care of the boo-boos don't don't let the small ones become big ones
1: I think uh I think a lot of young guys uh neglect that last one there you know it rightfully so they're they they recover faster right they don't feel it as much I think uh I'd like to think that as I get older I get a little more wise about um taking better care of of The recovery portion right and then sleep plays a huge part in that huge right so you know people I don't know think uh, I think I read you know an average Olympic athlete needs like nine nine to 12 hours of sleep or something and it's like well yeah because they're they're stressing their body at at such a high level that uh, it needs that extra time to recover not you know I I can run on three hours of sleep and I like "Eh, what are the long-term effects of that,
0: right? Not good. It's it's not good. It's not good. I, I, and, and we're not here to talk about me at all, but like I went through that of not sleeping for a long time, um, with the station assignment I had chosen to do and stopped dreaming, stopped getting deep sleep. And that's why I got into my sleep stuff that, you know, we started talking about and now I track my sleep and I focus it and, and, uh, Fortunately, I'm gonna a little shout out here. Garmin, love love Garmin. They tell you when you're overtraining, which I know you operate in your overtraining all the time. And it was funny, I was talking to one of my friends yesterday on a on a on a four mile run. He's like, I'm in the red zone right now. It says I have to. He after the run, he says it says I have to recover for three and a half days. I was like. Uh, don't do it. You know, my buddy, Zach, he, he ignores the recovery date all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I,
1: you know, I do. And I, so I've been using a, a, a Garmin product for, gosh, what are we probably four years now, uh-huh. maybe almost five. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm seeing it's quite accurate. It is quite accurate. I did, uh, uh a half marathon, the Joshua tree half marathon, I don't know, a couple couple of uh, marathons ago or half marathons ago to raise some money for the uh, SEAL Foundation um, or I'm sorry Special Operations and Survivor Foundation uh-huh. and um, anyway uh, I ran it with a buddy and he, you know same thing his watch said yeah my watch says like three or three and a half days to recover and I said well I'm, I'm probably gonna I had something going on so I wasn't exactly gonna go train in those next three days anyway but he did and uh, and he's 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 our age bracket, you know. He might be a, he's actually a little, just a little bit older. But um,
0: I don't think he's older than me. Maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> I'm 51 next week. Oh no,
1: he's 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 your age. He's your age. So, but he didn't take the three days, and um, he went and ran, and he's he called me. He's like, yeah, should have listened to you. I went and ran, and just did not feel good. Yeah. And I was like, ah, you, you know, you don't have to. It's okay. That's why i say it's it. It waxes and wanes. It's okay to 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 step back and and focus on some other things every now and then.
0: Yeah, yeah. I. It, and this is just you know the fitness side of us, and like we we mm. end up going down these rabbit holes and we talk about this stuff. I love it. I love it that it tells me because it tells me what I feel. It, you know, like when I feel like I'm overtraining or like I'm. You ever have those times where like you start off running, you're like yeah i'm running slow right now and i don't feel well and you didn't listen to the recovery time yeah and some days you just whatever whether it's you know hitting the pool hitting hitting the bike you know hitting the gym weights you know overtraining. Overtraining's real you know oh absolutely you know you definitely have to be smart about your training keep it small i just changed my barbell program um from a five by five at 85 to 90 percent of one rep max uh three times a week I just changed it to the Wendler three, two, one program, which, um, I'll write about on tier one athletes, but that program just came out this week and hopefully people who are following my barbell programming, they'll use it and they'll know their one rep max. I told them two weeks ago, get your one rep maxes. Something's changing. Mm -hmm. It's coming out. So I'm writing that for all those people that follow it and use it for programming, use the Wendler. Um, we're going to go for six months. We're going to see how people do with improving, um, their strength. Cool. So very cool. And I know it's not beating me up anywhere near as much. Well, there you go so that's the big thing sure um, so back back to your career um, so you went through buds twice second time you you classed up with 228 you went through buds it's in the book the warrior elite amazing book read it um, I have to have you sign my copy at some point sure There's sure a picture of a little kid in there that looks just like you <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> what happened <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was, you know, when I was doing um, instructor duty. Uh, I don't know in the in the kind of mid late 2000s, uh, a lot of students were absolutely like that was the book they read, right? They're like, oh, I, I knew I was, you know, I was joining the Navy, trying to come to buds, and and so of course they read that book. I used to, when it first came out, um, I'd hand it. I, you know, that was a Christmas gift. Yeah. Right to family and friends. It's cool. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. That
0: it, it, anyone that hasn't read it should read it, even if they don't want to do it, just to understand how you guys tick. Sure. You know?
1: I probably, you know I haven't read it.
0: <laughs> well, you lived it. It's okay.
1: Well, and that was, so when it first came out, of course, people were like, oh, did you, did you read it? And I'm like, well, no. Like, I lived that, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, I, I know the story. Um, but it, I will probably go back and read it at some point.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you may not have seen some of the things your classmates did or said.
1: No, exactly. Yep. And 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 memories fade, right? I mean, that was my gosh, uh, twenty. Well, that was twenty years ago. Yeah. With two two eight. So. Um,
0: and and they do what? Five five classes a year?
1: Yeah. I I, it's. I th- I think we're at five classes a year. I think at one point they were they were trying to push like six a year.
0: Yeah. And that and, was because of spinning up and putting the new transition and blah yeah blah,
1: blah. I think that but on average it's five yeah. five a year
0: um, you have a very famous classmate I do the lone survivor yeah Marcus, absolutely Marcus yeah. Luttrell
1: yeah I went through buds with Marcus
0: yeah um, that's a whole nother that, that, that's a podcast in itself y- uh, it and, sure is but, uh, <laughs> but it's interesting because one of my uh, previous guests um, Greg Hakey was was in here and and he he, he uh, told me that he retired on Oper- Operation Red Wings date.
1: Yep, I remember hearing him say that.
0: And that was uh, coincidental to me because it's like right around my future five year retirement date. It's just funny how it all meshes together unintentionally.
1: Yeah, I didn't. You know, I, I was at his retirement and um and uh, I didn't I didn't even realize that that was that day. And I and when I heard it on the podcast, I had to go and, and and look it up. I was like, really? And so I did. I went and I was like, dang, he is absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I'll never forget when uh, when that
0: went down. I I I'll never forget it, like, cause it wasn't supposed to happen that way, you know. And that, and that was something that you know Greg and I had talked about in in his episode, which was you know like. The, the whole SEAL team persona has been put on a pedestal of being superhuman immortal. And what's amazing about your book is that you're not superhuman immortal. You're, you're normal guys who are willing to do um, amazing things. Yes, it's, it's, agreed. It's grit. It's grit. I'm yeah, willing agreed. to do this. I'm willing to go through this for others. I'm willing to do this for my teammates. I'm willing to do this... For you know, for, for the public. And, you know, there's not a stereotype. There's not like, there's not a, not a guy that just like, you know, walking around like, Oh, that, there's a Navy SEAL. He's six foot two, 275 pounds and, you know, can bench press six cars. It's, it's not built that way. It's, no. it's, it's not the exterior that makes the, you team guys, it's the interior.
1: Yeah. We've had, I mean, we've had all sorts of folks, you know, come through buds, uh, uh, NFL players, Olympic athletes, uh, you know, astrophysicists. I mean, we have, we've had it all, right? Yeah. And um, and and a lot of those folks don't make it. They don't yeah. make it.
0: You know what? One one of your instructors, one of your instructors is on my job. Oh, really? Phil Black. I think he was the MIT officer.
1: Gosh, I can't picture him.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think then I think my cousin's husband was also in there. Two tiers
1: oh yeah. yeah yeah yep small world yeah very we, we realized that the the first night we talked it's funny can we talk about i want to talk about the night we met
0: you can talk yeah absolutely
1: okay well because i you know we were getting signed up for this trip yeah and um you know i had to go to the school and fill out all the paperwork and, and stuff and uh they said hey do you know you know here's who your roommate is. I had no, I have no idea. Right. 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 And well, it's, it's Kevin Easley. And I was like, Oh, okay. And they're like, do you know who that is? I said, no. Okay. I'll make an introduction. And, and we sat, I think we sat down and filled out some paperwork at the same table. Yep. I don't know if we were even at the same table, but I think we were, we turned in our paperwork at the same time and we were, we kind of walked out of the, the building together. Yeah. And I don't, I don't recall what was said, but it, immediately sparked a conversation we stood out in that parking lot for like 30 minutes or 45
0: minutes talking about life do you yeah remember do you remember what totally I remember exactly where it happened I um, I remember I remember some of the we had we had amazing commonalities some of them some some great and some not so great and you know one of the ones that we did talk about a little bit was um, post-traumatic stress we 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 got into that a little bit, and um, but uh, mindset. I think one of the things that my mindset was paramount. Like like we realized that like our our approach to our our families, our careers, our fitness. Like we were like like we saw everything pretty much the same way, and so it was like oh cool, you know, someone to like yeah. talk to that understands me, mm-hmm. you know, because like we were both going off on this trip with people that like not a whole lot in common with, you know, no, you know, like, and it's it's like, okay, I'm going to chaperone. Um, I'm going to stay with somebody in a room, you know? And I always have that feeling when I'm outside of my element of like, are people going to understand me, you know? And generally not generally not. And, and so like to have someone that was like, Oh, I get you. Yeah. Was like, it was like so cool. It's like, this trip's going to be great. Yeah. All of a sudden, it, 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 honestly, you know what it felt like? Uh, did you ever see that movie Step Brothers?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was for like, sure. did
0: we just become best friends? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go do karate in the garage. Yeah. That's what that. That's what yeah, that. Totally. Hour felt like. Totally. And it was like, all right, let's go do this trip. Yeah. Let's, fu- let's fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, no, I, I hear you. It's uh, it, well, and and when people generally don't um, understand you, uh, you just kind of keep to yourself and. And, and I don't, I generally don't have a whole lot to say to, to other folks if, because I don't want to come across awkward.
0: Yeah. Well, most people can't understand the things we talk about or see. And that's one of the beauties that we have is that, and and it has to do with everybody that does these trades. Like, like we process so many visual audio impressions on our brain and it, it changes who you are over a cumulative period of time mm-hmm. and whether you want to admit it or not it's a post-traumatic stress it's not a bad thing it's it's something that you just have to learn to deal with and it, it changes who you are like in the book like i said i saw I, le- I saw this little kid that looked just like you he was a little kid man he he was 20 years old 20 yeah. something years old yeah, at the yeah. time right picture and and here you are now you have teenagers and you know our kids are together, and I have teenagers I mean I have a twenty year old walking around this house that likes to pick me up and throw me around like I'm a rag doll right um, but the uh the fact is is that who we were then is not who we are now no and and and, it, and it's been it's been a great journey I wouldn't trade it for anything right I, I would I wouldn't change either
1: i I think you were some of our conversations you were like one of the first People to get you are the first person to get me to actually think about that a little more in depth. I've always kind of felt like, oh man, I'm just not the person I used to be, and I always looked at that as a um, as a fault or uh, as a downer, you know, as something I was like maybe ashamed, like man, why am I not? But then you put a different perspective on it, and then as I really put some thought into it, I've, I I kind of realized like you know what, I've actually been considering I've seen some some guys go down some really dark paths I yeah. I'm actually fairly resilient in in my you know you as you described me like laid back always has a smile like I think having a positive outlook on um, how you approach stress uh, traumatic experiences the loss of friends you know um, really um, plays a part in, in your mental health right and if it does I, th- I think it's important to have a, a there will things will turn out good perspective, um, not things are always bad.
0: Right. And there will always be things. That's one thing I've learned is like things will not stop happening. It doesn't matter. I have I have a friend right now, a peer through, he used to work for me, had a horrible experience recently. Just just in the last two weeks, he had an alcohol related incident, ended up in the death of one of our coworkers and
1: that's I've been terrible.
0: It, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. That's you know? terrible. I mean, like none, none of us like losing it. It's a reality of, of, uh, I call them the big boy businesses. You know, people are going to die in the line of duty. Sure. But then we have, um, because people play so hard in our line of work, they, they self-medicate decompress certain ways. We have the fuck around, find out deaths right? Yeah, absolutely. You you know, like you, you do stupid shit and you can only get away with it so much and everyone's always pushing the limits. And this, this friend and, and the guy that was with them, both of them from our job, alcohol related motor vehicle accident. And one of them's dead. And, um, the, I, I been in touch with him recently and texting him and I just said, you know, just personal experience, the darkest hours the worst of times, the times when you can't sleep, when you feel alone, the, the deck is stacked against you, the world is horrible, you're cold, you're miserable, you're tired, you're desolate, you're alone, you, you feel desperate. What I have realized that every morning is the sun comes up and there's a warmth on your face and the sun comes up and whatever you just went through, that the, those horrible times, you have a you have a little respite from it mm-hmm. and you get to look at something again of like this is a fresh start and that's that's been huge for me because i've i've been in those dark places at the mo at, at at the dawn hour many times and for me my faith in god god's message has been the sun's coming up it's a fresh start here we go it's a fresh start it's a new day
1: i like that yeah
0: and, and it's been a symbol for me and I'm not gonna lie I, I have bad times you know I there are times I I feel absolutely defeated in everything I do yeah absolutely exhausted and defeated and then a, a morning will come and the day will come and and it's it, and it's a beautiful day and I can I can put it as a fresh start
1: yeah I like it it's I like it a lot yeah it's huge It is. It is. You have to, you have to be able to, um, take that approach. Even like you said, even at your darkest times, you have to be able to, to see the opportunity, uh, that, that you're presented with to, to make a change, to change it, change it for the better. Make, just choose to make it better choice. Yeah. Choose to make it better.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this before we got started the recording, but I'm just going to go back to it. That the whole post-traumatic stress thing. Yeah, like that D, the disorder, is put on the end. Sure. And let's just call it PTS. And then you have a choice: Do you want to be handicapped and have a disorder and a disability with the D, or do you want to put the S on it and say so PTSs, survival strategy? Like, how am I going to get through it? What am I going to do? And. I think the most important thing is to to make sure you have the the choice to process it and go through it, and and survive it. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, a fifty year old mom that gets bumped into at the grocery store could ha- that could be her post traumatic event.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: You know, it doesn't have to be um, anything that we've seen. You know, you you know, if, you know, for me, I I shared shared mine. I'm not going to put it on radio right now. I'm not gonna put it on the podcast, but like my my crumble moment. The, it, the, other, people don't have to go through my moment, right? For that to be their their um, point of uh, reflection. Sure. Everyone has their own. Yeah. Yeah. And, totally. And, and who am I to judge what theirs is, and who are they to judge mine? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are they of di- different magnitude? Absolutely, because every single person has a different resilience. Yes. So, and that goes back to you once again of you made buds twice and hell, hell week twice there you go you know and you know that's, so, that's amazing
1: so y- you're you're uh you're helping me recall the most recent i guess um experience i had I, I think i called you right just to because i had um i want to talk about the paragliding accident yep because i had called you because i had i had i actually had lost sleep i didn't sleep the the night after that happened because well let let me just say what happened I guess. Yeah, let's say what happened. Yeah, so so I started paragliding um I was in Europe uh, about 5 years ago and um and so of course, you know, doing a lot of flying. Anyway, I was um I was at a at a spot where uh, as as when was that? In June? Yeah, last month, right? Yeah,
0: cuz we're in July, yeah.
1: Yeah, last month. Um anyway, this guy launched a, well, this guy attempted to launch and had a botched first launch. And so, you know, I helped him set up his wing again and get ready to launch. And, and he, he went for it the second time. And, you know, I'm not going to armchair a quarterback, it, but you know, he made, made some mistakes, ended up, uh, ended up getting into the air, uh, backwards, facing the, facing the hill, still facing the mountainside. And, um, The wing ended up hooking around and 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 basically you know he augured into the side of the mountain yeah and right in front of me and i was the only other person up there so immediate you know before he even impacted the ground i was like ripping off my harness getting ready to you know go help i wasn't sure what 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 kind of trauma he had experienced um you know um so and ultimately we ended up uh you know facilitating a a helicopter rescue. They did a pick-off right off the side of the mountain right there. And um, I was up there for probably 30 minutes before anyone else finally showed up. I think first people were maybe a couple pilots from from down below. And and I think county sheriff showed up. And at this point, so the guy team, I'm going to say he team-guided me, all right? I'm going to explain that. Because so he augured in. I went down, did initial patient assessment. Nothing's sticking out, right? He's complaining a little bit of a, of, of a lower uh, back pain. Did, didn't did see any step downs on his spine. And, and so I was like, all right, for all intent purposes, he seems okay. He's talking to me. And I asked, hey, do you, because I wanted to get him back up to the trail, which was about 15 feet above us. And he said, well, why don't we just traverse on the side of the hill over to the, to the launch? I right. said, which was maybe just a little bit further. I said, that's a great idea. And so I said, hey, I'm going to get you out of your harness so we and I'll assist you over there. Well, if just the world I live in, if, if a guy says he's going to get up and go somewhere.
0: He's good to go. He's
1: going to do it, right? Like right. Uh, we've had guys, and I wasn't there for these incidents, but we had guys literally shot in the face and get up and walk themselves onto the helicopter.
0: Yeah, like Dan Crenshaw got blown yeah. up, lost his eye. He walked to the helicopter.
1: Yeah, totally, right? And so... I let this guy, team guy me, I also happen to be a ski patroller, right, so I'm used to dealing with some patients on the hill and this, that, but but I let that slip, and I was like, all right, cool, this guy's going to walk, this is going to help, we'll get him out of here faster, yeah. and then and then he went downhill, he started, right, he, he had a couple bouts of uh, loss of consciousness, at that point, he's out of the harness, and now we're, we're kind of sliding down this
0: mountainside. Oh no, that's dead weight there's nothing there's nothing worse than than it got to a point 200 w- pounds of a sack of goo <laughs> it's it got, so hard to move
1: oh man it got to the point where i i had to pin him on the side of the hill uh but from below just and you know just to get, keep him there or else he would have slid like 100 feet down this ravine off this little cliff and the 911 operators want me to like go grab my phone i said i can't let go of this guy you know i'm yelling on the radio to the to the guy down below so anyway, I really beat myself up over it that night, yeah. right? And I wrote this whole debrief of uh, all the things I could have done better for next time type thing. And I, and I called you, remember?
0: Yeah, I totally remember it. And I said,
1: hey, this is what happened. And you you were kind of like, that was you was, Yeah, not something I anticipated. I just wanted to fly. I had a new wing. Yeah. Uh, all I wanted to do was fly that wing. But anyway, you you gave me... Some, some recipes for a successful
0: rescue. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because, like, I've been working in the, in the technical rescue world for quite a few years now. And th- th- I think this is part of the trade of all special operations is that everyone wants to Monday morning quarterback a little bit. Right? Sure. Everyone's got an ego. Absolutely. You, you can't help it. You're like, you did what?
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely.
0: Why didn't you do this? Right? And sure. That, and that happens a lot. And I don't think it's I don't think it's I don't think it's a dick measuring contest as much as it is like well how did you not see this in the in the moment how did, how did you not have the clarity and if you don't have immediate action drills or recipes um, and that that's a team thing immediate action drill and you know we have in, in in what we talk about in my world we 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 call it concept approach you know like you know, like the big thing that we had over the last two years was that made national news was the SeaWorld rescue. Mm-hmm. You know, departments go, oh, how do you do SeaWorld? I'm like, well, we practice that exact concept three times a year, right? So we have conceptology of how we approach certain events. But when people look at an incident and they start Monday morning quarterbacking it, how do you, how do you negate that? So what are the benchmarks you're really trying to accomplish in a rescue or an operation? And Obviously, for for a, a SWAT incident or a, um, a special operations military incident, there's different objectives, benchmarks. Yeah, absolutely. But that's where I basically took it from, and and I said, what are the benchmarks? What are the benchmarks of a technical rescue that is sound? And basically, it was, was the rescue affected? Yes, yes. or no. The rescue was affected. Was the methodology used safe? Yes or no. Did you? Kill the patient or the person you're trying to rescue or, or kill or injure anyone that was attempting the rescue in the process yes or no and if you can answer those those three benchmarks in the positive light, then you were you affected a, a, a successful rescue because you didn't make the situation worse you actually improved it because if you were never there, what would have happened
1: yeah. Absolutely.
0: And so it takes a lot of the the guilt and second guessing out of it, and it also allows it allows room for everybody to uh, it allows room for everybody to actually constructively critique incidents. So you know, as long as benchmarks are met, you can critique. It's no longer ego. What what you should have done was no one wants to hear what you should have done. People are are open to hearing, did you consider this? Well, well, yes, but that wouldn't work because of this. You know, it's it's a conversation instead of an argument um, at that point. So meet the benchmarks. That was the big thing that we came up with in our team.
1: No, and and when you told me that over the phone, that was huge, right? Like, and it wasn't that, yeah, okay, I lost sleep over it, but really it's, it's because I'm a perfectionist. That's really what boils down to is like, hey, I should be good enough well, I want to be good enough to, to not make those kind of mistakes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I was critiquing myself. Um, but once, once I called and, and, and you gave me those three benchmarks and I, I was able to answer yes to all those. Right. And you're like, well, then that's a successful rescue. And that, that put it to bed for me. I was like, all right, cool. Here's my debrief points. I'm going to review those, make sure, you know, make sure I'm carrying the right things in the, in the field when I'm flying or, you know, um, just make sure I'm prepared yeah. to to affect a potential rescue in the future and and lesson learned and the odds we talked about this what are the odds that I find that exact same scenario again right
0: yeah and that's that's really where it came from is that you know when you when you work in reg let's just call it regular operations you know take, take whichever industry you want you know it doesn't matter if it's military law enforcement fire call it call it a, a for the fire industry, call it a dumpster fire. Happens every day. Dumpster fires happen every day. Law enforcement, domestic violence, happens every day. What
1: what is happening that dumpsters are on fire every day? <laughs> it's just people people just put
0: shit in dumpsters, you know? It's like stuff that, you know, you know, ashtrays get dumped in them, you know, chemicals that go together that aren't supposed to be together. Dumpster fires happen throughout this country, every city every day. Every day, it's just a common thing. Yeah. And you know what? I think for a lot of it, people like just to set shit on fire. Yeah. It's an easy, yeah. safe fire. Yeah. You know, they're not—they're yeah. not—they're not, not going to get caught. It's contained. It's out in the middle of nowhere. They get to burn something up, burns a bunch of trash, burns the plastic lid off. Sometimes it burns a business down next door. But you know, for the most part, it's a safe arson. You know, for people that are out there wanting to do it, uh, I'm not condoning arson. I'm just saying. I think that's the way people look at it. You okay. Know, they, they, they get their little pyro out of them. Okay. But you know, with, with I, somehow we just went down a rabbit hole. I'm <laughs> lost. I'm lost. Well, we
1: were talking about we were talking about effective rescue. We were talking about uh, whether I will see that scenario again. And you, oh yeah, it,
0: yeah. The, the, the technical rescue normally is the technical rescue side of it, like what you're talking about. It you're you have to train in concepts because you can't. You cannot train in every situational, um, eventuality. Sure. You cannot anticipate just like in your job. Yeah, absolutely. You cannot anticipate what you're going to face, right? You, you cannot, you, you can say it's likely that we're going to encounter bad guys, right? So you, you better know how to shoot bad guys it's likely that we're gonna to have to breach. Let's master all the concepts of how to breach different things. Doors, windows, gates, right, walls, yada, 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 fences. But you're not gonna come across and go, um, I've seen everything. Because eventually you're gonna see something you haven't seen. And there's a chance you may never see it again. Or, like we're, like we're discussing in your situation, of a, being a paraglider, trained as a ski patroller, carrying your kit to rescue someone, watching a paraglider auger in before you take flight. How many years do you think it's going to be before you have that situation again?
1: That's uh, why, yeah, exactly. You know, could be
0: never. It could be never. Yeah, and that was the whole point of it, is that, you know, but the dumpster fire equivalent, you're going to see it again. You know, you know what that is.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do we need to, are we going to end up getting hit here.
0: Yeah. Eventually. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Let's, let's go on pause real quick. We're going to take a break real quick. Yeah. So with, with that paraglider rescue, were you happy with its outcome? Cause like you, you answered all the benchmarks, like it was successful. You didn't make his situation worse. <coughs> and Excuse me. and uh, no one else got hurt, injured, killed, out of the rescue, right? Correct. Okay, so the rescue was affected. You didn't make it worse. Your methodologies were safe.
1: It worked. It worked. And <clears throat> what it did, obviously, like, should I ever encounter that again, I I know how I'll deal with it differently. Um, but what it really highlighted is I'm going to, you know, I talked to the owner of the of the facility where we were where we were flying, um, and um, I told him I said, hey. Maybe I could help you, you know, do a little bit of advising and get you set up, because um, just to be more prepared in the future. Because it is a flight park, yeah, and and you know, that's certainly not the first uh, injury that's happened. There's there's folks that have unfortunately lost their lives out there, so it, so it won't be the last, right? But what I can do is go, hey, hey here's the deal, and and you know, they kind of like in the skydiving world, they do boogies and they they plan on holding a boogie in the fall and, and maybe i'll go kind of speak to the incident and give some friendly advice on how i would in, deal with something like that if right. i were
0: them so you're saying that humans flying without aircraft is not inherently safe
1: I, you know honestly that sport's incredibly safe a friend of mine jokes that that's my retire you know he's a climber yeah buddy of mine and uh he jokes that that's my retirement sport because, I, you know, in, in Europe, a lot of, uh, I mean, uh, retired folks are out paragliding. Yeah. It, it, you just, you know, you have to be mindful though. You have to, um, you can't just
0: wing it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So speaking, so you obviously have an extensive history in um, the air industry. Because like, like when you first told me that you run the air shop for trade at training department of naval special warfare mm-hmm. in Long, for people who don't know your secret language, um, I was like, what is air shop? You know, I I didn't understand. Then you told me that you supervised all, all the hey ho halo training, or didn't tra- you didn't su- not necessarily supervise, but you, you're responsible. Your department is. Responsible for making sure everyone's jump qualified from all the different platforms.
1: So folks that come to us guys i got folks guys, you know operators that come through through our training block. Yeah, um, they're already they're already qualified military jumpers, right? So what we're doing is we provide um, That unit level training that allows them to go overseas and do any um,
0: air-related mission that they may be tasked with. So this is during the 18-month workup? That unit, Correct. That units come through you and they go, we need to jump these platforms, we need to jump these profiles, we need to make sure that we're competent in doing these insertions. Correct. So, now, can we talk about the story that we talked about on the trip? Actually, I'm not even going to give you a choice. We're just going to talk about it. Okay, I don't remember. Because we're going to release this after you retire. Sure, I don't remember, but yeah. So you have the unique experience of, of making sure people are Halo qualified for their deployments, right? And you told you, like out of all operators, like in this GWAT, the Global War on Terror right now, how many Halo operations have there been? First off, you, between tier one units, tier, tier one units, being, sure. you know, that other seal team. Yeah. Right. And that other unit and the air force elements that are assigned to them, the, those are called the black ops units. Right. And then the other units, which are a teams and, and seal platoons and all that, those are white units. Correct. So in the white unit world, how many Halo operations do you think there have been in the GWAT? Well, within NSW, there's been two and And so there's not that many people doing them. No. And you have, I have, I have, which, is, which, which is funny. That was one of the conversations we had that we, we talked about the generation that are coming in, owning things right. without asking people like, Hey, has anyone actually ever done this? Sure. Yeah. They, Great. they, they don't look around and ask the question like, like they're reinventing the wheel. Like, like we have that thing going on right now where people are, hey, I learned this new trick fighting fire. I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. Sure. T- tell me about it. And, and they tell you about it, and you're like, yeah, I could have told you that if you'd asked, you know. And just, yeah. And so you had the unique experience, and it's a great story, and I really want to capture it of your Halo operation in the GWAT. So
1: I think I can talk about it in enough generalities to to. Um to be safe. Let's do sure. it. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so there's within white soft, at least within NSW, I don't, I don't know what the SF guys, uh, how many, you know, if they've jumped into other places, but, um, for us, we've, we've, we've literally done two and they both included, um, boat drops. Right. And so typically we had that capability in order to preposition forces to sway, um, to provide sway to get people, maybe maybe it's a illicit oil um, or people um, moving things that they shouldn't be moving, right? right? And So if we can pre-position forces in a timely manner, then we can we can usually convince people to turn around, right? Or or we'll take the shit either way. Yeah. Um. So there was one that had happened. Oh, I'm gonna say b- roughly six years ago, and then it was approximately two years after that was, was my incident. Right. And right. so I got the phone call, uh, the guy at the other end, you want the good news or bad news? I said, well, let's, let's hear the good news. Good news is you're going. I was like, okay, what's the bad news? Uh, bad news is you have to leave in, in a, on a certain timeline. I said, well, that's not bad news. You know, that's totally good with it. Right. And, um, so I, you know, technically I wasn't part of the assault force. I had, been um selected to go as a command representative um representing the the senior enlisted or the command master chief so that they could run the operation from from where they were headquartered right right? and so i was going to be the segue between um, the command and the assault force and at the time they had actually lost their senior enlisted advisor so so i was kind of filling that role for the for the troop commander at the time so we we load we loaded everything um, at the, at the time they had stuff generally pre-staged right uh-huh. ready to go. Um, so we we got in the air
0: we went and so what kind of platform are you going off is this like C17 or C130 C130 yeah C130 um,
1: taking a little trip taking a little trip uh, now. Do I do I talk about one of the commander's requirements, the go/no-go no go that we talked about?
0: Uh, you know, you t- talk about what you're comfortable with. Sure. But let's definitely talk about like you know wh- what what uh, platforms you're dropping in with.
1: Yeah. So so we're on uh, so we're dropping a, we're on C130s. So we're dropping 11 meter ribs. Yeah. Right. Which is what what we've utilized up until very recently. And. The, the general scheme of maneuver, the ribs are going to drop, they're going to get de-rigged and prepped to receive the assault force to help pick folks up, right? Right. And um, so they they do that, and uh, meanwhile the assault force is kind of circling overhead, waiting waiting to
0: be able to be received. So, so so just clarifying this picture, there's a maritime interdiction, there's a ship underway carrying something that's not supposed to be taking to us someplace. Yep. and there's a United States Naval vessel out there that's there is. trailing it There is. that's going to be your base of operations, and the C-130 is dropping the 11-meter ribs in to rendezvous with that platform so you can go from that base of operations to interdict that vessel. Yes, absolutely. Okay, yep, so just a cl- clear picture for everybody listening. Thank you for doing that.
1: Um, so... While we're in the bird waiting, and and we're waiting for what seemed to be an extended amount of time, right? And we're running into some timeline issues. The word that got passed back to the the aircraft was that boat one was down. That that was the exact verbiage. Boat one's down. Okay. This is after you dropped the two boats. After we dropped the two boats. And typically what that means is that they can't get it started. Yeah. Right? Right. Oh, all right, cool. Boat one's floating around out there. Can't get it started. They're yeah. working on the engines. That's the delay. So, again, bumping into some timeline issues. We decided, hey, we're, we're go, look, assault force is launching, right? We have the, the ships' ribs are in the water as well to, to help facilitate recovering jumpers and, and so on and so forth. So we go, we jump out, and, and just as quick side note, I watched the guy in front of me. He jumps out and starts taking off, does a hard right, and starts flying off in in it, what's becoming the darkness, um, like off into the distance. And I'm just like, okay, I got to keep an eye on that guy, right, and make sure we don't right. lose someone at sea. Because land is nowhere. Oh, we're literally in the middle of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Hundreds of miles from any shoreline. Long swim. Very long. <laughs> yeah, very long. And so so i finally get in the water and and we get i swim or pull up with some of the guys that are closest to me and you know a boat finally comes over to pick us up and uh it's one of the ship's boats and i just said hey you know we have this guy over here and, and we kind of we eventually made our way to find him and i just i asked hey what's the status of the boat and and she said um it was a female coxswain on the from the ship she goes what boat and i said the, the boat that was down and she's like, no, it's not down, it's gone. I said, what do you mean it's gone? And She's like, yeah, all we found was the the bolster seat from from the cockpit. And I, I was like, you mean it burned in? And she's like, I, I guess so. And um, so we pick up this guy who happened to be the platoon chief, and so uh, and a friend of
0: mine. The one, the the wayward.
1: Yeah, the wayward guy. We finally found him, and um, I told him. What I had been told, and uh, we kind of clarified just to make sure we understood. And I said, "Hey, I, I really need you to take us back to through the through the debris field." Oh, okay, well, yeah, we know where that is. And and so I said, "Well, let's let's get the platoon chief, who's the the tactical leader, right, for the assault force, on onto the um, naval vessel, because the the XO of the ship was waiting on us." And so we go over there, and XO is waiting you know, right on the side waiting for us to come up the ladder and we get up the ladder and he, he looks at us and he says we watched it burn in and it was spectacular. That's what he his, <laughs> the word he used spectacular. He said we have it we have it um marked about five hundred meters, you know, over in this direction. And so I said, Hey I'll I'll take some some guys and go to the field and see because here was the deal. We had our equipment, our assault gear Uh,
0: Staged in the boat. So all all essential assault gear was in boat one.
1: Most of essential assault gear was in boat one. Lesson learned. Huge lesson learned. Huge lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so basically, it didn't. The shoot didn't open on boat one. Or or it streamered or something. Four shoots. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but we're not. You know, I don't remember the end result, but there was some issue. Did they video it? You know they they did the ship did not unfortunately they were not recording and I, I really cuz I asked for the footage yeah and they said oh we weren't recording but we all you know watched it in the in CIC they 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 said we all
0: watched it I would like to have seen that, that I would have
1: cool. loved to have seen it
0: yeah that's like it's like one of those Instagram Monday morning motivation videos <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely and funny the uh you know post event the the um guy in charge of the boats. He said, I heard something and I thought it was the parachutes releasing, but what it was, was the boat impacting. So in hindsight, he's like, yeah, that I thought it sounded awfully strange, right? Like it didn't yeah. sound like the typical boat hit in water. It, it sounded much like a much larger impact because it was. Yeah. So, so how high did you guys jump from? Oh, geez. I don't remember. I think there's a, there's a minimum requirement, but, um, it wasn't extremely high. It's like a clear and pull. Yeah. Type. It's a, yeah.
0: So, what? Well, over three.
1: I think over over 3,000, but probably not over six.
0: Yeah. Something, something so, like that, somewhere yeah. in there. So, a, a boat probably hit terminal velocity in the first. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and so we had um, equipment in, in, in that boat. And, of course... Uh, couldn't find a single so I said hey take us back through the debris field took a crew of of boats and kind of tried to organize a a recovery effort on some of the um, because it was all in dry bags right and so hey if it released from the boat and if the boat exploded into a bunch of pieces hopefully it we have some stuff floating on the surface well then we couldn't find the debris field yeah right and so um, we didn't find a single bag
0: don't you know that some guy like crossing that ocean in a sailboat one day found a bag?
1: Well, I'm sure all of it washed up on the <laughs> Libyan shores and folks there have what? run around Libya with all that. all that yeah. I don't know. Ho- hopefully, to be honest, hopefully it stayed attached to the boat and it all went to the bottom.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that was our best hope.
0: Yeah. At that point. Right. Hope, hope for the worst. <laughs> So, so obviously you still had a mission to run. Still had a mission. That's just getting you there. That was just getting there. And yeah, it, that's just getting you to the job site. That goes back to site. the whole Murphy's Law thing. Every, you know, having a plan. Plans only work until first contact. This was your first contact. Yeah. Then, then you have to be able to adapt on the move. Yeah. So, so you guys jump out. Yeah. Hey, let's go kick some ass. Let's take down this ship. Here's all our stuff in this boat. Wait, the boat's gone.
1: Yeah. And, and so, you know, of course we had to do like a battle damage assessment. Hey, what are we, what equipment do we have left? Yeah. How are we mission effective? Are we just, are we done? Um, the, I will say this, the ship, uh, the ship crew, the, the CO, the, everyone on board that ship was incredibly, um, supportive and helpful. We ended up, we ended up having to borrow ships, guns, and doing a side-in range on the back of the ship to make sure that everything was good to go. Um, you know, they even offered up uh, their ribs. We, so we still had one boat. Um, now, they have smaller boats, smaller right. ribs. And and we were reaching some sea state limits, I'll say. And so the CEO of that boat, she wasn't particularly comfortable putting her boats at, at risk of, of being sunk yeah um so we had devised um a method to to utilize her boats to get the assault force there um in conjunction with our boat that that put her at ease yeah now uh what do we have other detail other details on that on the insertion that we need to cover
0: no i just think uh, okay i just think it's great that you know you had one of the two and then it did not go well and no one's ever because i remember i asked you i'm like you're like, hey, no one's ever asked me about this. I said, well, I'll ask you. Yeah. And yeah. you said, really? I said, yeah, I want to hear the story. Yeah, it, it's always fun to hear stories. And you said it didn't go well. <laughs> 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 and that was like an understatement, you know. And so, like to you know, hear the story of how everything happened in that, and you were still able to be operationally effective through, you know, adapting and overcoming, you know, just like the, the old Clint Eastwood Heartbreak Ridge thing: improvise, adapt, overcome, you know, hua, yeah. all that stuff.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, we we so ultimately we did not have to board that vessel. Um, it provided it provided political powers the leverage required to convince that vessel to turn around. Yeah. And um, and and so that was a win, right? Of course, the guys, the the, the operators were trying to get their it, scratch their itch. Yeah. Uh, you know, right? Like. Right. Um, but I'll take it as a win because. We basically escorted that vessel back to territorial waters, and, and then uh, it was cool. We got a full demonstration of the ship's capabilities, um, which was unbelievably impressive. That's the longest I've ever spent on a ship, by the way. I just have to—it was like seven or eight days or nine
0: days or something. And it was enough, wasn't it? <laughs> it,
1: was, it was enough. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was good. But like I said, the ship, everyone was incredibly supportive. Um, great, great crew. Exchanged a few coins yeah uh but uh yeah great unbelievable um our naval power is just incredible and and under probably underappreciated within my community yeah their capabilities
0: yeah yeah the united states navy rules the world the oceans of the world it really does it's um it's the great force of peace people pay attention when the united states navy shows up it's it is really uh you know teddy roosevelt the big stick yeah it has been the big stick for every president like, nobody, sure. nobody wants an aircraft carrier battle group to show up off their coast, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it overpowers anyone, you know. Um,
1: I so, have to say, I so I kept the rip cord, right? Because well, so you jettison everything, well, you got to keep the yeah. memento, like, yeah, right. So, of course, you know, what do you so I held on to that because guys were like, oh, I don't have my rip. I'm like, brother, this is your one and only like real world jump, I'm yeah. totally keeping that, and I. Oddly enough, I just came across it uh, this week, Packed packing the there. house. Yeah. I said, like, man, I, I need to keep this out because it probably needs to go in some sort of retirement memento. Yeah. Right. That,
0: that's going in your shadow box. Right. You? Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, with the, you know all your, your pins and everything. And, yeah, yeah. So you were your team three, right?
1: I was at team three on the west coast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you had a unique opportunity also. With.
1: I did. We uh, invaded Iraq.
0: Yeah kicked off the global war on terror.
1: Yeah, very um, unexpe- unexpectedly. We weren't uh, we weren't even in the AO. Yeah, because that was
0: team 3 historically was Southwest Asia. Back team, when when everybody
1: Team 3 actually was was CENTCOM. CENTCOM. Yeah, they team 3 was and that was why I chose it because prior to um all oh, prior to an entire team deploying the way they deploy now, they they were kind of regionalized. Mhm. Right. And so team three was was sitcom. Yeah. And uh, and that was why I chose to go there. And then, you know, I had checked in and and, and a, a new initiative had kind of changed, um, restructured the force and how we deploy, but uh, ended up going anyway. Right. So during yeah. during that event.
0: So what do you want to talk about about that?
1: That's that is a whole nother podcast. It right is, there. isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is. But obviously, uh, um, a lot of your friends, a lot of people that I've met know the names of future guests, you know, so on and so forth, from that that group. Sure.
1: So you know, um, I mean, that was truly when platoons were like 14 to 16 guys, right? Before now, they're they've grown in in numbers, but um, you know, so tight tight knit group. Yeah. Um, this was um pre pre-iraq invasion uh you know, I think we originally formed up, we had originally formed up right right before 9 eleven um so right just a very um huge changes in our country at right. the time, right and so um we kind of as a country lost our innocence on 9 eleven yeah, I think we did
0: um I don't think people, I sure hope. I sure hope. Uh, I sure hope today, you know, because here we are, um, 19 years this year after it, right? And your whole career, a good portion of mine, it changed everything. It, you know, just so many, so many benchmarks, and you know, our children have been raised after that happened. Yeah. Um, The the concept of we have been at war this entire time and been at war against an ideology, not a nation state. Sure. And people struggle with that. When's this war going to end? Well, I don't think this war is necessarily ever going to end until you find a way to eradicate hate. Because there's a hate in this ideology. And there's a hate. Unfortunately, you're seeing a little bit of that hate surface itself inside our own country right now. Um, hating the freedom hating uh, capitalism hating you know the ability to do whatever you want to do there's a lot of a lot of um, oppression starting to come onto our shore from inside our own populace you know right now like how dare you make a million dollars I think someone should be able to go make a million dollars and if they want to make a million dollars go make a million dollars
1: sure yeah Um, very interesting uh, very interesting times yeah, right we're, now.
0: we're in a crazy time that I don't see the way out of I'm not sure it's necessarily getting better right around the corner. I, I like, like you, like in a year you're going to pack up and leave and you're going to go to a place that's beaver Cleaverland. Sure. You know, and yep. I, I intend to do it as well. My, yep. my schedule is different than yours, but it's definitely a runaway. It's a, it's a runaway approach and I'm, it is and you could say it's not other people could say it's not it it is it's that you get tired of dealing with you realize that there is i don't want to call them a majority cuz i don't think it's a majority but it i believe there's an empowered minority that is oppressing the majority we've gotten to completely. that we've gotten to that point of society completely that case in point, you know, we had, um, recently we had my gun safe open and and we're playing, you know, and, and like the wrong person would be like, you can't have that. Well, actually legally I can have anything that's in here. Everything's legal. Right. But there would be people that would say, how dare you have something like that? That is, that's not your right, but it is my right. Sure. So we have people now wanting to tell other people what their interpretation of the Constitution is. Sure. And they don't agree with owning, and so they don't want other people to have. But right now, I I see so many people wanting to tell other people what they can and can't do, that if you don't agree with them, you're part of the problem. And Mm -hmm. I've never seen it like that before. And I'm afraid for our country because i'm af- I'm afraid of people not being allowed to have um, a different opinion without being oppressed. a different belief in a right, a different interpretation of uh, a civil liberty. Sure. Um, I don't want my children to to be in a position where... I don't even know what polarizing subject to reference it to, but whatever polarizing subject there is right now, whether it's, let's let's say it's, uh, you have to eat potatoes. But my kids don't like potatoes. Right. And then people come along and say, either you have to eat potatoes, or we're going to destroy everything about your life. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's where we're at right now.
0: And... I'm afraid for that mentality. Yeah. it's Running the country.
1: I, th- I think we're seeing, I mean, it's that's happening right now. And I don't know to what extent it's going to, where it's going to end.
0: I don't either. I, I, I see, have you heard of the not fucking around coalition? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. You got to look them up. So there's this coalition of people and they're trying to be the Black Panthers from the 60s. They're all black. They also decided that they're going to be a militia, and their big agenda is not so much Black Lives Matter, but reparations. So it's, so it's a different agenda. Yeah, you know, because I believe Black Lives Matter. I believe all lives matter. I don't. I don't care if you're, you know, the leprechaun off Lucky Charms. Your, your life matters. Right. If, if you're in the United States, your life matters. Just clear. Right. I right. Know. I know. Even, I don't care if you're a tourist, an immigrant an illegal alien. I don't care what color you are, what, what gender you are. Um, if you're the two popular genders or any of the 16 newly created genders, I I really don't care. I I believe your life matters. Sure. So these people, they're looking for you know reparations and representation and they they're arming themselves and marching in protest so it's it so it's not a peaceful protest it's actually a, a militia of intimidation and they're going to places where they know they can cause controversy and they're openly carrying what they believe to be assault weapons or weapons uh, how if there's truly an assault weapon they they're using openly carrying military style weapons dressing in all black black fatigues black masks blah, blah, blah. Right? Okay. So they announced they're going into Louisville and they call themselves the not fucking around coalition. Okay. So on the opposite spectrum of that is this 3% uh, group, which three percenters are people who believe they're the descendants of the 3% who stood against the English tyranny back in the revolution. Okay. Because historically, 3% of the population of the colony stood up against the tyranny of England, right? So that's where they got their name. Now, the 3%ers, historically, um, their ideology is that they are sovereign citizens, and so the, the, the laws of the Constitution of the United States don't apply to them because they are their own country in their own person. Okay. little different, right? Opposite extreme. So the 3%ers decide they're going to meet the not-fucking-around coalition in Louisville. Weird thing happened. Someone got shot. Strange peaceful protest strange so like at what point you know you know predictable preventable right so if you're going to a peaceful protest like the one in austin where a peaceful protest shut down a freeway guy had an ak-47 points it at a car well it's texas you know sure the guy in the car had a gun pulls it out blasts the guy with the ak-47 it's justified shooting
1: i actually heard about that one
0: yeah and you know who would have thought that you know You know if you take a gun to a protest and shut down someone's civil liberty to move around freely right which is beyond me that these protests are being deemed peaceful when you're shutting down um, the ability of people to move yeah absolutely that's no longer peaceful that's now like if i were to take my wife let's just say this this is a good interpretation of it if i were to take my wife and say you're free to do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to let you leave the house. Right. Uh, some people would call that slavery. Right. I am now. I'm binding someone to a residence. Right. I mean, yeah. It's. It's. Um. It's the same as somebody kidnapping someone and putting them in a basement. Yeah. You're, not, you're taking away their freedom. So if a protest is taking away other citizens' rights to move around, closing down streets, keeping them from seeing places, at what point is that no longer peaceful? And the scary thing is, like up in Portland, you've got the mayor of Portland marching with these people or the mayor of Seattle saying, yeah, you know what, take the Seattle Seattle, uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone is what they call it, CHAZ. Go ahead and take that and we're going to move the police out of there. But you know what? You can have that area and you can get, call yourself a sovereign entity. Where is this he going? He said that? He yeah. said that? I, 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 Well, you, you've stayed out a lot of this stuff.
1: I, I have and I have to, I have to tell everyone, right? Like, because people are probably like, man, what is this guy live under a rock? And I, I want to put some context as to why I, I don't follow a lot of this stuff, right? So prior to us meeting, yeah, I lived in Europe for... Three and a half years. Yeah. Right. From well, I was over there from late 14, 2014, f- technically for a deployment. Kind of got uh, recruited to to take a position, a, a job over there, and uh, and moved back in the summer of 15, and and spent three years over there. Right. And that's actually the second time I've lived outside the country. Uh, first time was in the late 90s. I lived in in Greece for two years. Um, in between my buds classes. Uh huh. Right. And so, you know, I've had the opportunity to observe our country and how we conduct ourselves from an outside perspective. And that will change your perspective. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Right. It's, it's one thing to go do a deployment for six months and your heads, you put your head down and you're getting work done. It's another to like actually go live in a different culture and uh, try to assimilate into a foreign culture. Um, you know do your best and and then to observe especially you know living in Europe with other first world nations and how the United States is observed uh, by our friends across the pond right and 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 it got to the point I have to say this it's just embarrassing but it it was a it was a circus yeah it was an absolute circus and we finally we just stopped watching the news and and to be honest, we were just so busy traveling and, and enjoying you know all the uh, history that Europe has to offer that we kind of stopped watching TV in general. Right. And we we've been like five years now. We've been back two years here, and uh, and we still kind of we don't really watch TV. But we watched stopped watching the news. I kind of stopped following it even. Yeah. Because um, it was just an absolute circus. And interestingly, I it's just a quick side note. My Norwegian, I have a lot of Norwegian friends. They broadcast American television, uh, typically American news, you know, in full English, and it, they speak better English than we do. But uh, but they they view it as like entertainment television, and I would that's, oftentimes. That's hysterical. Oh, it's it's it was funny and sad at all at the same time. But it, you know, my Norwegian friends would be, oh, did you hear what so and so said this week or that week? And I said, nope, nope, sure didn't, because that that's how.
0: The world viewed. The the first world outside of the United States views the United States almost like a soap opera. Yes. <laughs> and and that's sad. Completely. But it's but but we are we are our own worst enemy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just have this vision in my head. I saw. Um. San Diego Fire Department's been burning down a lot of boats lately. Okay. You know, most recently the Bonhomme-Richard. Oh, geez. wasn't really our fault because the Navy tried to fight that fire for an hour before they called for the Federal Fire Department. Federal Fire Department fought for an hour before they called for help to the San Diego Fire Department. And we show up and shit's blowing up. Blah, 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 blah. It's a deep-seated ship fire in a harbor, yeah. our harbor. It was a no-win situation by the time San Diego Fire Department got there. But the Bonhomme-Richard fire to me is 2020 in a capsule <laughs> you know of our country it's like here 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 it is this is a this is a graphic representation of the united states in 2020 we're just falling apart at the seams burning down to the waterline just we are we don't have our shit together right now. I, now I, I still think we're the greatest nation on on earth because of the opportunities that are available here, and the civil liberties that are allowed that have caused a lot of these problems. But we're just a shit show right now.
1: Well, we are. And and you know what's what's a shame or what's scary about it is um, you have other right. We've we've all heard this um, great power competition uh being thrown around now, right? If you watch certain certain news outlets, um there are countries that are just drooling at the mouth at um watching us basically tear ourselves apart from the inside out. Oh yeah. And just they don't even have to put boots on the ground. No. Hell we're we're going to do it ourselves.
0: Yeah, we're winning for them. Absolutely. China, Russia. Yes. They're they're looking at us just going thank god oh they're, they're 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 winning a war against us without deploying any military right now
1: completely and and what's um what's really a shame is that as a country we we don't identify ourselves as americans first
0: anymore a large part i shouldn't say we all no i i think you're right in that and it's funny because one of my previous guests when when the whole um George Floyd incident happened. I had a longtime friend, Ralph Haynes, come on my show.
1: That and, was a great podcast, by the way.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was pertinent at the time. It was. And and you know pulled one of your peers in, Dan Crenshaw. His book, I had just read his book. And that guy is amazing. Dan Crenshaw is amazing. I I, I, I can't go a day without thinking about his words of. Instead of telling everyone to not be offensive, work equally as hard at not being offended. Man, if we, if our country could put that foot forward, that that to me is like a JFK moment. Like, you know, sure. ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Ask not to be a, uh, uh, you know, others to not be offensive. Work to not be offended. Like, what a what a clutch pivotal turnaround point. Um, but going back to Ralph, like. He flat out said you know this he, he said I, i've never been to africa why why do you want to call me an african-american he says i'm an american I yes was, i was born in texas yeah and yeah. i have guys on my crew go oh i'm irish american oh i'm italian american oh i'm this i'm like I, i've been raising my kids like hey we need to be if, if we're ever going to prove to the world that we have culture we need to be first and foremost american yeah and absolutely it, and it does not matter what ethnicity you are it does not matter no not at all it should not be a leg up a crutch a disability it should be that you're an American and and if we could get to that point we might turn the corner see this is that's the big difference
1: between us and other first first I'll say European nations Mm -hmm. is is that they are um, they don't do that right they don't do that I don't know if that's a carryover from uh, from the days when a, a, a ship of uh, Irish, you know, were coming to America, and and you know they all lived in the same neighborhood, right? Right. And the Italians all lived
0: in. Is that a carryover from Maybe. from
1: when we were forming?
0: Yeah, because the great recipe, you know, the great recipe of uh, the melting pot is assimilation. That's why it's called the melting pot, in America, right? And we've had a few generations now that have chosen not to assimilate. And I don't know exactly what the starting point is. I can't say it's Korea, World War II, Vietnam, those, you know, because what what categorically happens is when we go overseas and do our job for freeing the free world, being the leader of the free world, and other people say we're capitalist, imperialist, and oppressive, but historically we don't occupy territory. We, we go and liberate in the interest of the majority and then leave. And people want to say it's economic or empirically powerly driven. It, it's arguable either way, from whatever viewpoint you are. Your perspective is your truth. And so therefore, yeah. whatever perspective you want to stand on, you will call that your truth. But hi- historically, the United States has stayed inside the continental United States minus you know Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Guam, Samoa, places like that. that. We haven't kept colonies. We're not in Africa. We're not in Europe. We're not in Southwest Asia. You know, we're not doing that. We don't have colonies there. Um, so, as an ideology of going out and, and spreading democracy and freedom, I, I lost my train of thought.
1: Well, I think we were talking about it being uh, being viewed as oppressive, and and you know, I had I had mentioned. Well, we were talking about it being a carryover. Here's the thing. If you, you know, uh, Americans are very quick to to talk about how our culture is, um, we're oppressive to ourselves or oppressive to not recognizing the melting pot and where people oh. originally come from. You, you want to know what happens, and this is why I wanted to put that into context. You want, you want to know what happens when you decide to go live in a country in Europe? You, you assimilate. Yeah. Because if you don't, you, you you don't get by, right? You just don't. It just doesn't work
0: that way, right? And here in the last, that, that's where I was going was the assimilation, the, which is the recipe of the melting pot. We've allowed cultures to not assimilate. Yeah. So so we've become fractured. Yes, very. That's that's in that. But that maybe had, that's and that's that's create created our our shit show. The Jerry well, the Jerry Springerism of. You know world media like sure. where where we are you know we're, we are we're, we we've become a little bit of the jerry springer show to the first world
1: we have we we have indeed no but but yes absolutely i would agree we haven't put being
0: an american as the priority yeah that's interesting because that, it's funny because like you went over you know you you did your career in the united states navy you know, as an American, and you've served our country, and you've, how many years? Do you... uh, I'm at just over 24. You're at 24, you're going to do 25. Yeah. And what's the biggest thing, not not to put you like, you know, like, hey, one thing to say, but like, sure. you know, you're at 24 years, and we chose to do this a year before retirement, because you wanted to get some things out. And as as someone who's served the United States for 24 years, what's what what are you taking away right now? Like, what, what is it that you have, per, the perspective that you want to share?
1: That's a heavy question. It is. You, the biggest, I, 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 man, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I would say that we need to not try and have all these different groups. That We, we need to be Americans first. Uh, there's a lot of people right now writing articles about, you know, basically um, saying that if I say I don't see color, that that's a farce. And uh, there's a lot of people saying that. That's
0: that goes back to the potato thing.
1: And and it's, I'm just at a complete loss of how so quickly we have lost our sense of being an American right? Think about from world war two to now, right? right? In such a short period of time, we have gone from, from what that generation accomplished and came together as a nation to where we're at right now.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and I, I want to be optimistic about it cause I'm generally an optimistic person, but I'm moving away and burying my head in the sand to your yeah. comment earlier. I am. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to fix this. And I don't know and I don't know to what extent we're going to continue to fracture. You know
0: what my you know what my fear is? Um, I run in the I run in these circles, you know, like it's funny cuz like you've chosen to be out of media and I got you to like create your own Instagram account, right? Right, yeah, totally. You know, cuz you weren't doing it, but a lot of people are doing it right now. A lot of adults are doing Instagram, Facebook as a mass communication mass communication connection device. And so tier one has allowed me to interact with people who I normally wouldn't interact with. And I've seen someone from the other side of the military special operations world, and I don't want to say his name because I don't want to bring undue attention to him. But when when this latest thing happened in in Seattle with Chaz, he flat out put out a post. um, Yeah, if they're not gonna do anything about it, I, I didn't lose friends over the last 20 years for this shit to go on in our country. And he says, who's with me to take it back? And he put that post out. And, and it's it's a jest, but it's not. And I'm a little afraid of what's going to happen when your peers who have fought, bled, and died for this country to be free get done saying, okay, this isn't the country I did this for. We're done fucking around. Sure. And And you guys... Potentially say we're going to write the ship because right now, I mean, it could very easily happen. It could very easily happen because people with experience of direct action, overwhelming force, overwhelming ability sure. to to just say y- you want to protest or, or you want to occupy or you want to you know say you're no longer part of the United States. Well, my United States says you are, and this is what I'm doing. And then, like, they can't deploy the, the United States military against these people. I mean, we already have two armed coalitions shooting at each other in Louisville. We're, we're I mean, we're at that point of, like, if these people decide to start putting stuff down, they're going to win. Because historically, they win. You know, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a culture of winning. The Your community, the Special Operations Military community, has a long culture of winning even with losses you'll win
1: oh yeah absolutely Hi, high win rate yeah um it's really interesting right because I, I had mentioned i didn't go into depth about it but um that i climb mm-hmm. and I, I, so i come i mean i've been climbing for over 25 years and uh in in the climbing community has a tendency to be very uh, liberal, right right and very and certainly at this at this point in time, very anti-trump, right. And so of course, my friends, I'll probably lose be, be unfriended after this gets released. Yeah. but friends uh, on social media that from from the climbing community, you know I see their post their political statements and and I've seen them say that some of the same things like uh, uh, civil war is not out of the realm of possibility and and you know, I would obviously that'd be terrible, uh, event to occur that we, that we couldn't figure out a better way to write ourselves as a country that it had to come to that. Um, but I, I have a tendency to be very open-minded, um, because I see both. I, I just happen to be associated with, with kind of both ends. Right. Um, I don't consider myself either one, I consider myself probably somewhere in the middle. I like to apply common sense
0: to situations. <laughs> it seems like we've lost our ability to just apply common sense. Well, it goes back to, once again, that the two-party system is inherently flawed. It builds you to be one or the other. Yes. You know, why can't you be a republicrat? Why can't you believe in concepts from both? Sure. It's kind of like kind of like the... Um, the predecessor to that was you either believe in evolution or creation. Right? Yeah, that was uh that's been strong in the past. Like, how stupid is that? That's been strong? You you can't prove either one. <laughs> sure. So why do people have to believe the the polar extreme of both? Yeah. Why cannot why can someone not believe that a creator designed an evolution? That's an interesting concept. You know, and and why? because like, that's where I am. I, I believe in the Creator and I believe in evolution. I, that's my personal belief. Yeah, and I believe that just based off science. Like first off, like I, I, not many people have many people, but percentage of the population have not had the opportunity that I had. I had the opportunity to um, have my own cadaver to take apart. Mm-hmm. I took apart a man who had given his body to science. that was part of my training. And spending time with a person who gave their body, and you take apart their machine, and you realize, yeah, this shit didn't just happen by chance. It, you know these, you know the one-way valves in in in, in the in the Venus structure, and you know a pump. And well, how does all this all work? Oh, there, it, it's an it's, it's an electrical charge. Where's the electrical charge come from? No one's ever been able to say where that first electrical charge comes from that starts life. Yeah. Right. Where's that energy? What is that energy? You know. So, have human beings evolved? Absolutely. It's been proven. It's been proven. You know, like just for instance, like go back 200 years and put on, or not 200 years, 500 years. Go back to what an average suit of armor is. Right. It's like four foot ten. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah. You know, I'm six foot one. I, I'm not going to fit in an average suit of armor. You cannot tell me. I mean, I mean and, and my, my kids now are tower over me and, and his peers tower over him. You know, like they're all bigger. It's like, you can't tell me the human species has not evolved. It's evolved. Yeah. It's, gotten, it's gotten bigger, faster, stronger, smarter. Sure. You know, in, in a matter of 2000 years, that's evolution to me. But there's no way. It was just like magically pop. There's Adam, there's Adam. There's Eve. Just standing there, you know. In my opinion, I don't want to offend anybody because there are plenty of people that have their perspectives and their truth that the world is 2,000 or 3,000 years old, and then carbon data testing tells you that it's not. So I choose to believe in the middle, and those two extremes are going to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. Why, Why is that okay? It's it's not. And that and that's the same thing as the two-party system right now because I don't believe I don't believe everything from either one no A- and no, I be- not at all and I believe in things from both you know I, I believe yeah. in certain civil liberties I believe in I don't believe in infringing on civil liberties I believe in capitalism I believe in the ability to I believe in the Bill of Rights you know the you know, the first ten amendments I I categorically believe in those first 10 amendments those the guys who wrote those were geniuses you know life liberty pursuit of happiness if you are so
1: easily swayed to to one extreme or the other right if you allow yourself i think maybe do we have a hard time as americans just controlling um our emotions i guess we get I think we probably are viewed as having a tendency to become very emotional about, or very call it passionate about one thing, about one point of view. I think we've lost the ability, and I don't know if this is a result of uh, potentially not enough Americans traveling outside of America to get that perspective. But I, I just hate to think that that folks have become so accustomed to to choosing a side and and he, here's the thing and we could go on about this for a hundred years but to me it's it's <laughs> the media drives so much of this and so, especially social media and what we've become accustomed to in the last I don't know how Facebook is about 10 years I don't even know I but, don't either but right since right. the since the inception of all this social media and, and this this during that time frame is where the most, it seems like the most extreme changes have occurred, in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Prior, to, prior to social media, it took longer for, you know, maybe this has all been building, but maybe it was, uh, w- maybe it was amplified or uh, given a boost by the rise of social media and the fact that people can say absolutely absurd things on social media
0: with zero consequence you know what's funny about that is I, I just saw something recently and you're going to laugh because no one's going to say he's a genius except me Mike Tyson said something recently okay and he not not to me but he said something he broadcast something he said social media has allowed you to forget that you can't say anything you want about somebody without getting punched in the face Right. So true. And that's that's the biggest thing is that your ability to go out and fucking destroy someone, right? Yes. Opinion, land based um, vilify, um, whatever you want to do to somebody. You Trolling. Can- People that troll. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You can you can just go do whatever you want to someone else with zero consequence. Zero. And we've seen it in our communities. You know, we've seen it in our communities where, like, I remember, if I didn't watch my mouth, like in the beginning of my career, someone would take me out, out back, tune me up. You better believe it. And you can't do that now there's there's no consequence for words anymore right it's it's like actually words are empowered to be insulting and denigrating and um, inflammatory and then the response to it is supposed to be that you tolerate yes totally we're supposed to have a we're supposed to have a tolerance of that and it's funny because like the outrage culture is destroying our own culture. It's becoming our culture. It is. Like tying it all in. Is it, you know, like saying we've become the world's Jerry Springer show.
1: It's um y- just a quick note on the on the people that, that apparently have a lot of time to uh, troll and, 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 you know, um, go on tirades on social media. Could you imagine how much good we could accomplish if, if they focused their efforts on positive things instead of i can't i'm a, i'm shocked that people have that much time to do that kind of stuff i i don't i use uh i use social media to to stay in touch with with some friends and family and and as a uh i don't want to say as a means of news but like a lot of weather um yeah. a lot of weather stuff for me from from paragliding and in uh perspective but like Following your hobbies and your interests. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Yes. Uh, but could you imagine the folks that, that spend all the time trolling and, and going on tirades on social media? If they focused the, that energy
0: on something positive, how much better off we'd be? Yeah, it's an amazing tool. It can it can create a business. It can create a livelihood. It can create it, it could be a um, a positive affect on others. You can you can positively affect others. It doesn't have to be a negative. Right, but w- but what what
1: happens is, and this is right back to the media thing. The media just they want they right they sensationalize everything. Yeah. Um, and and that was another reason why we we kind of got away from watching the news. Yeah. Um, it's sensationalized and they eat it up, and uh, I wouldn't miss it if it all went away.
0: Yeah, well you're gonna be able to have that chance. I mirror. just
1: right, like I wouldn't miss it if it just all went away.
0: Yeah. You know, like I remember I remember once when one of my kids was born, I went to Costa Rica. And I remember so it was my youngest. He had just been born. He's now ten years old. So this was ten years ago. You know, getting getting from San Diego to, to uh the the Pacific coast of Costa Rica is a, quite a journey, like hours of flight and drive, you know, because it's 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 not first world. Costa Rica is not first world. It's probably second world. It's not third world. It's very domesticated and it's um, it's very much a socialist economy. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone gets free education. There is no military. You know, the the basic staples of food are provided by the state. There's one dairy, um, but it's a beautiful place, and there's a lot of peace. And that, they have a, a saying down there called "Pura Vida." Um, a lot of people live in peace down there, mm-hmm. um, as long as the neighboring states don't ever take them over for not having a standing military, you know, because their borders are kind of peaceful. But I remember getting down there and and, and uh, getting on the coast and sitting on the couch watching the sunset, and it had been like a 14, 16 hour journey, and my little boy laying on my chest, and I slept in a way I hadn't slept in a long time. And it was because I didn't give a fuck about what was going on in this country it, because I was out of it, and like you realize, like all the, the the rampage that is wrapped up into this country. Yeah. You get outside of the country; it doesn't it doesn't really matter. No, 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 it it doesn't matter. And if you can get that perspective on it, and and um. And I, I always come back to him, man, just like not being offended and not being offensive you know, right. with, Yeah. with uh, Crenshaw, because this it's still a great country. You know, like what you can do here, just, even the protests, you know, I, I was reading the paper this morning. There was a protest over um, in Baghdad this yesterday because they have 126 degree heat there mm-hmm. yesterday and today so the power grid was not supporting all the air conditioners so people decided to go protest so the police shot some of them wow wow you know so protesters here you're welcome you can protest sure you have you have your you know freedom to assembly and your freedom to protest and your voice will be heard you know without being shot for it right you know go try it in another country if you think we're oppressive well, that's go, the thing. Go try it in another country.
1: That's the thing. That's what I always come back to is like, you know, maybe if these folks went and visited some other places.
0: Yeah. Like uh, you're saying, travel outside the United States.
1: Absolutely. Go see go, go. see what it's like in some
0: place that you think is better off. Yeah. Go see. There's a guy on, on social media that I communicate with quite a bit. He's actually coincidentally a SEAL, but he doesn't build any of his social media profile off being a SEAL um he's rugged r-h-u-g-e-d and the guy is creates the best memes ever they're just like true and they're funny and he says it all the time he says america still the hottest bitch at the dance <laughs> you know and and like he's he's seen the world he's 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 gone out there he's done things and i don't want to use his first name or his or his name at all just his profile rugged at rugged at you know <laughs> And he says that all the time and it's like, it's so true, man. It's like, here we are in a country, you having served it for 24 years, I'm at 28 and we'll be done at 33, I think, and you're going to be done at 25 and you get to go start a second life and you're going to be able to live someplace. You're able to pick up and move 2000 miles away and live in a separate place without asking anyone's permission. Yeah try that somewhere else yeah try try you can't go to another country other than China or the Soviet Union and go 2,000 miles without leaving the country right or Canada so so Canada United States Soviet Union and China the four biggest continent continental countries and other than I'm not even sure Canada you can but I know for a fact the Soviet Union or Russia and China are not gonna let you just say I'm moving over there yeah so, learn to love it. Love this country. Learn to love being an American. I think it's kind of like what the theme has been of this conversation today.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great way to put it. Yeah. Learn to love being an American.
0: Yeah. So, is there anything we want to put in the time capsule of one year before you retire? Oh, before we stop, because I know you had notes. I know.
1: I have to look at. Uh, I have to look at these notes. So many, so many things. Because like you know, while you're looking at your notes, has your career been what you wanted it to be? It has. I mean, it largely, it, of course, it has. Because if it hadn't, I would have uh, retired sooner. Yeah. Or, right. Or even gone. You now. went
0: past the twenty. The twenty is the normal. Yes. Like the re- normal retirement time to get out.
1: Yeah. You know? Most most folks at twenty, you can collect you can collect a pension and, and medical benefits and stuff, right? Yeah. So. And you went past. Went past. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Um. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I I say there's certain aspects of it that I wouldn't necessarily do again, if that's a if that's a good way to put it. But I don't regret it. Right. right. I don't regret those aspects. I don't know if I'd do those particular let's just say jobs or, uh, within within NSW again. Right. But I I don't regret doing
0: them. Yeah. Um. Um, and those will be something we'll talk about after, because some of those things, like right now, we can't really talk about. Sure. Right. Yeah. But we can once you're done with your career, we can talk about the lineage of your career. And yeah. Then, we... And then like how it feels after.
1: Yeah, that would be a great, great topic. Uh, because that, that will then we'll be able to incorporate stories like uh, more stories. Yeah. From some of the guys that aren't here uh, anymore, for sure. Right? Um, yeah. That that I was good friends with, so.
0: Yeah, because not everybody comes through their career unscathed.
1: No, um, no. I mean, there's definitely been more friends lost than I care to than I care to remember, to be honest. And that's something that we can talk about. I I haven't dealt with any of
0: that to the level that I probably need to. Yeah. Well, when you have your nose to the stone and you just keep going. Right. You don't put aside the time. That's usually that's probably the biggest contributing factor, for
1: sure. Yeah, because but it's it's led to some really incredible things. Uh, I have managed to find good ways to, um, I guess, at the levels I have dealt with it. I've I've I think I've found good ways to to uh, have something good come out of it like standing up a non-profit, for example. Right. Um, so, yeah, things like that. Like which which nonprofit was that? Uh, it was Climb for the Fallen. Um, and
0: that's through your climbing community?
1: I mean, no, it was just a, uh, a non-profit that we, we ended up standing up after uh, losing a, a good friend. Um, and we had the best of intentions, but everyone that was uh, affiliated or on the board... Um associated with this nonprofit, we're all active duty, um incredibly busy people. I think one of one of the persons on the board was going through was a lawyer going through medical school, like just unbelievably busy people, and maybe underestimated the um the amount of work required to continue to run it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say what it did do is it provided. An opportunity for us to grieve for our friend and his family we got the, his family involved and I can talk about that on a on the next one or we can keep going for a little bit anyway but but it, it provided an outlet I think largely for us to go through a grieving process that we didn't know how
0: to maybe deal with otherwise
1: pretty yeah. cool
0: yeah that is really cool yeah it's um. Because that, that kick in the dick comes along in everyone's career that, you know, someone's no longer there. They're there one day, and then they're gone the next. We just had that happen. One, one um, I was at a yacht fire, too. If you have a boat in San Diego, it's burning down right now. <laughs> uh, I don't, thank goodness, I don't. Um, we had somebody torch a 65-foot vessel. Oh, jeez. I think they torched it, li- liability-wise. I don't want to get myself into trouble there. Um, but all the burners in the galley were on with construction materials on the cooking surface. And it was on fire when I arrived. (laughs) Okay. And, and uh, so anyway, um, while we were there, one of my members cousins was found to have been killed that night. And that was just horrific, you know, just like, He was here yesterday and he's gone today, and that happens. Yeah. And that's yeah. It there's 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 no sugarcoating that pain of losing somebody. It it does not ever get easy.
1: No, no,
0: not at all. So you have to find your way to grief. And was a, I was actually talking to my guy yesterday about the grief process, and I said, don't shortcut it. Mm-mm. You know, process it, go through it. It's gonna hurt. It's it's never not going to hurt ever it you know it's loss hurts
1: yeah big time
0: and you know if, if you try to show it up wad it up kind of like we were talking about the analogy earlier sure you know throwing that crumpling up the memory throwing it in the corner it's always going to be there it's always going to annoy you process it right yeah process it right so that you can carry on honor that person learn to honor somebody who leaves you
1: and that's that's a great way to put it I, there was probably a point early, like I would, um, there was a point earlier in my career where it was, it seemed like it was such a difficult thing for me to deal with that I, I actually even avoided uh, several funerals. I just couldn't. And then I don't know what it was. I don't know what sparked, um, the change necessarily. I'd really have to think about that, but that was, that was the change is, you know what? The, this is our opportunity to honor that person and, and the um, the person that they were, that what they accomplished, like just the effect that they had on other people. Mm-hmm. Like here is our opportunity to uh, honor that, right? And to and to basically show that that we're recognizing everything that they gave. And and then I found it like I actually. Um, found myself explaining that to other guys that were maybe avoiding funerals for some of the same reasons and i said hey don't look at it as like you know this this horrible thing that you have to go and endure i said look at it as an opportunity to honor those people that we aren't here anymore
0: i'm guilty to what you just said you just, you just hit me really hard my, my class A historically comes out for two reasons. Promotions and funerals. Yeah. And um, my kids know that when it comes out, like, Dad's could probably going to a funeral. You know, unless, unless, like, we're celebrating, hey, Uncle so-and-so is getting promoted. And it gets to the point I don't even want to look at that thing you know, that class A's in a bag, hanging in the closet, you know, every five years put another five-year emblem on it. Sure. And um, I've avoided a lot of funerals. And I, I just realized that I've avoided, I've, I've internalized a lot of grief. Yes. Um, kept it from my family, came home, just carried on, didn't talk about it, tried to separate work from home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty as charged like for what you just said like and no one's ever even though I just said those words about honoring someone I hadn't put it the way you put it like I avoided selfishly funerals to not I'm a hypocrite of everything I just said I that's what
1: I was doing It and, and, and maybe I had the realization that it was a why wasn't I going to these funerals maybe it was a selfish it was a selfish thing right it was I wasn't going because I felt like I couldn't handle it, and I just—I don't know. I had an epiphany one day. I thought, you know what? It's not a—it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about that person and, and honoring uh, their legacy and what they—the um, effect that they had on me. And so if I don't go, I'm—I'm I'm not honoring that person properly yeah and so once i told myself it's once i came to that not told myself once i came to the realization that it wasn't about me i was at peace i was completely at peace with it and that was when i was able to have conversations with guys uh that were potentially hesitant um to, to to go for you know fear of dealing with their own grief um I gave them that perspective and and
0: changed them. Yeah. That's a good perspective. It's a good place to stop, I think. think? It's been going a while. Well, we're like two catty women talking a long time. It's an hour (laughs) and a half. (laughs) I mean, how many podcasts have we left sitting sitting around... uh, Cars, hotel rooms, and kids, and everyone else. Yeah, right. A dozen. Yeah. So we'll stop here for now. And um, just so, so we can listen to it before we do the next one, is there anything that you want to reflect on in a year to see if something's different? Obviously, the country will be different in a year. We talked a lot about the country. Yeah. Your career will be officially over. Yeah. And your transition, which is a big part of... Tier 1 is the transition of someone who's endured 20 30 years. You'll have 25 years you will have endured, survived and you'll move on to your what you're going to do as your hobby next and we always joke about it being we do something like a Walmart greeter. No, yeah, maybe I mean that no responsibility. Right.
1: That might be a great way to start the next one. Talk about levels of responsibility that we're willing to accept.
0: Yeah, because the the severity of decisions will no longer have to be there right you can
1: choose uh for them not to be there right you can choose
0: yeah. you can choose your level of engagement yeah it's a way to say it i suppose yeah cool man
1: well, well this has been awesome i mean it's been a long time coming but it's been awesome i'm really glad we
0: We made it happen. Yeah. Good times, man. I'm looking forward to a year from now, and I'm going to look forward to enjoying this next year together. Well, thank you so much. You bet, buddy. All right. This episode is brought to you by some of our sponsors. Tier 1 Talks would not exist if we did not have the ability to have sponsorship. And I would like to thank Brute Force Tactical for supplying all the sandbag needs for Tier 1 Athletes, our Instagram parent page. As you know, every workout metabolic conditioning circuit that is put into Tier 1 Athletes, also known as uh, tactical conditioning, uses sandbags. Sandbags are the ultimate, unusual, large, odd object. And if you are training to be an operator, a uh, tactical athlete, training for the tactical games, or just training for life, If you are working in the tactical environment, fire, EMS profession, law enforcement training, if you are military, you need this in your life. The company Brute Force Tactical provides sandbags in various size, capacity, and shapes. Everything from the Brute Ball, one of my favorites, 100 to 150 pound Brute Ball, which will humble you, you... Stack that up with uh, a rower running or an assault cycle, and guess what? You're going to kick your own ass. They have the operator bag, the strong hand, no, uh, correction, strong man, no hands, sandbag, up to 200 pounds. It's a common object used in the tactical games. I strongly encourage you to get after it. Train accordingly accordingly. Uh, hit up our link tree on tier one athletes and you will find a link to brute force tactical where you will always get a discount purchasing any sandbag through tier one athletes i would also like to thank hoist hydration hoist hydration is a company that is making top level hydration products if you thought gatorade was it it's not uh coconut water not Hoist Hydration brings you IV-level hydration. It has a perfectly isotonic solution, meaning that it is absorbed directly into the bloodstream without the need for digestion. Have you ever drank a quart of water and had sloshy stomach right after you work out or before? Drink Hoist. You will not have that problem anymore. You can literally feel it going into your bloodstream as soon as you ingest it. It is an amazing recovery tool. I use it after every endurance event I have. Uh, it contains double the electrolytes, half the sugar, and it actually tastes amazing. Multiple flavors, peach, orange, dragon fruit, strawberry, watermelon, soon to be released in their powder packets, which will allow you to take Hoist with you anywhere and add it to Any of those plastic water bottles that we're all used to getting off of trucks or helicopters that are hot and in the middle of nowhere. Something that someone says, hey, you need water. Here you go. And you have a little 16.9 ounce bottle of water. Now you can add your hoist hydration packet to it, change the dynamics of that drink, and actually rehydrate. Thank you again to our sponsors. Let's get on with the show. Stand by to meet our next guest.